I'm Suzanne Murdoch and you're listening to Power and Productivity. Each episode, I explore the energy that connection, expertise and flexible working can bring to your business. In this episode with Susan Hayes-Cullerton, we'll be talking about identifying your financial thermostat, your patterns with money and how you can take control and dare to succeed. How can you work smarter and put the right building blocks in place to reach your financial goals? Welcome, I'm your host Suzanne Murdoch and today I'm delighted to be joined by Susan Hayes-Cullerton, a Chartered Financial Analyst, the Positive Economist and Managing Director of the Hayes-Cullerton Group with clients across Europe and the USA. Their businesses include Vexearch, which facilitates active peer learning and the Savvy Teen Academy, which manages the entire experience of teenage work experiences in corporate organisations. The company also provides training, speaking and content development services in the subject areas of the financial markets, economics and entrepreneurship. Susan has twice co-authored Positive Economics, the market-leading Leaving Cert economics textbook in Ireland, and she's the author of two books published by Penguin, Savvy Women's Guide to Financial Freedom and The Savvy Guide to Making More Money. Susan is the co-founder of The Positive Economist, associate lecturer at Ulster University, host of the Fantastic Female Fridays YouTube show and presenter of the Savvy Women Online podcast. She serves on the board of the Irish International Business Network and the Island Hong Kong Business Forum, holds a Chartered Financial Analyst Charter, MSc Executive Leadership, BSc Financial Maths and Economics and a Diploma in Taxation. Susan, that's a lot of wisdom. You're a very busy woman. <laughs> well, you've really given, you've given the whole shebang there now. Oh yes, I have to give it all. So how, <laughs> how are you? I'm great. I'm great indeed, I have to say. Um, you know, it's, it's funny, you, you reflect on the times that we live in now and, and also just as, as I was listening to, to all of that, like, you know, the, the journey that we've been throughout the business and so on. And you just have to be very grateful for the opportunities that we've had and the resilience to overcome the challenges along the way and just the, the excitement of, of the journey as well. Yeah, no, I mean, you've an amazing story. You've, you've come so far and you really do have so much wisdom and knowledge. It's amazing. I'm a work in progress. Up you all, up you all. So today I'm really excited to talk about your story and how you help small businesses, well, small business owners, entrepreneurs, really recover a sense of possibility, dare to succeed, and how you put the stepping stones in place to get there. I know myself as a business owner that we often take so much for granted and really go it alone a lot of the time and don't really look at that bigger picture. We forget about the bigger picture. So um, no, I'm really looking forward to exploring how we identify our financial temperatures as you mentioned in one of your one of your books so that brings me to my first question Susan one of the things that I read in the Savvy Women's Guide to Financial Freedom was how you identify your financial temperature turning up the heat so tell me tell me more about this well it's something that I've often heard people talk about is that sense of discomfort with money having it actually not not being without it but having money can be quite uncomfortable for a lot of people and if you want to take a test on this to see whether you could identify with this or maybe subconsciously could, I put this, this test at the beginning of the book. So imagine that you look at your bank balance and there's an extra 50,000. Have you already spent it by the time I just took that short intentional pause? And some people go, oh my God, she, is she talking to me directly? And some people say 50,000. God, no, 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 no. I'd have that saved and I'd have that paid back in debt and I'd have that, this, that and the other is... The point is, is that now that you've had a sudden burst and an expansion of money in your bank account, how does that make you feel? And 
people sometimes say, you know, if they get a bonus or something like that, then they say, God, now I'm going to have to find a way to spend it. And there's an example of when they're just uncomfortable with having more money than they currently have at the moment. So the whole idea of the financial thermostat is, I think we all have this number in our head and we're okay with that. And if we go above it, we will spend our way back down. And if we go below it, we'll save our way back up again. But often people can feel a sense of getting stuck at a certain level and they're not really sure why. So a couple of remedies around this. Number one is sometimes when you know this, it can take away its power. By the way, Suzanne, I faced my own, I faced my own financial thermostat several times and faced its limit several times. And I've had to take my own advice several times. <laughs> and so first of all, you might actually recognize what I'm saying here. And then that could be enough. But the other things then that you can do is that you can simply either document, like write down or just think about or, or brainstorm or talk to somebody important in your life about this, but actually just think about what would be the good things that could happen if we had more money, not necessarily spending it. Maybe there might be a greater sense of relief. Maybe there is a greater sense of possibility. You know, maybe there's a greater sense of feeling that sense of ability to take more risk in the future or take less risk in the future or whatever. And when you start to do that, that's how you train your brain to be comfortable with having more. What about you yourself? Has your financial thermostat changed through the years? Oh, it has. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, the thing is, is that as an individual, you, you have a financial thermostat, but then maybe as a partnership, like when I met my then boyfriend, now husband, you know, then you have kind of a household thermostat. And of course, I'm a company owner as well. And then I'm involved in various different projects, like I might be responsible for working with clients and their budgets and so on. So, so I, I, I mean, I have a slew, <laughs> I have a slew <laughs> of them. So I'm, I'm well used to turning, turning up the heat in them. So, so yes, yes. Oh, it, it certainly has. And, and I suppose there's another topic that's linked to this, Suzanne, and it's not very far away, but I just, just to tell this, this brief story if we've time. And that is also, oh. I believe people have a fear of success. And I wrote about this one time on the blog and a lot of people reacted to this because I put a word on something that normally they associate with something else. Often we're afraid of failure. We're afraid that if we fail, you know, we might not feel good about ourselves. We might've wasted money. We might've of whatever. And a lot of us can be debilitated by that, but actually fear of success is far more difficult to articulate to yourself and to others because it sounds strange. I might be working towards success, but yet I might, you know, maybe I'm actually not comfortable with success. And the reason for that is that I may not be comfortable with the change that success can bring. So the, the two of those things go very much hand in hand. Like some people feel if we have more money than I'm comfortable with, then other people might know and they might expect me to buy them dinner or me to take them away on holidays. Unfortunately, people might have grown up with them um, with a sense of people who have money are maybe they're not happy or maybe, you know, there's other negative connotations associated with that. And all of that, all of that psychology is wrapped up together. So I have faced all of that. Yeah, I certainly have faced all of that. And, and I recognize when the financial thermostat is, you know, it's, it's making me do things or may take decisions that don't necessarily make a logical sense to me, but maybe do make emotional sense to me. And that's when I have to do the same. I recognize it. I attribute good things to being able to just hold on to more. And then I just, you know, I talk it out then with Ardell, my husband or whatever, and that usually takes care of it. Well, that, makes, that makes a lot of sense for me, but also what you said about the fear of success, because you could have, you know, when you're working towards a success, you have to face a lot of mental blocks that can be there mm. and you have to think creatively around them. But certainly when you get to that point where, oh my God, you realize you could make that success, you could make that challenge happen. Mm -hmm. A block often comes down right there. Yeah, it does. And oh, you see the same with people losing weight as well, is that they're, you know, they're able, if they're losing two stone, they're able to get the first stone and a half, but not the last half stone. 
it's the same thing. We, we can apply this in all ways is that then we get the sense of, you know, I can do it. I can achieve it. Do I really want it? Or what if, you know, what if I then lose the last half stone and then I have to get a new wardrobe? Oh my God, I'm not going to have money for that. So you know what I'll stay as I am. And all of these things are, are kind of, you know, there's, there's psychology built into them all. And they all mean the same thing. It's all the same thing. It could be fitness. It could be a business, it could be a promotion. Actually, what it really is, is fear of change. And when you deal with the actual fear of change, then the block can often go away like magic. Definitely. Deciding on your financial destination, Susan, and the stepping stones to get there, what small actions do you take personally on a daily basis that have led you to disproportionate results? A couple of things that have certainly helped me over the years that I do would say they've been 1% improvements that have had disproportionate results. The first thing is, is that an awful lot of financial management has nothing to do with money. And people often are surprised when I say that. Like, for example, applying for a mortgage. Yes, of course, you need a deposit. Yes, you need to have the pay slip that says you are an X amount. However, the real thing is, is actually getting all of the ducks in a row. It's getting all of your statements in the one place. It's having the usernames and passwords to log into your internet banking or whatever it might be like that. So what I would say is that rather than thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to have to, you know, live a, a much more constrained life and I'm going to save all this money and everything else is you could be surprised that by simply maybe doing doing three things, getting getting your accounts in order or getting your paperwork in order, putting meetings in the diary with people as if whatever you're working on is actually going to happen. That's certainly something that has really worked for me, whether it's in finance, like personal finance, whether it's making business opportunities happen, is acting like it's already done. That can have a very powerful effect on your mind and the, the environment around you. And the third thing, Suzanne, and this works for whether it's finance, business, personal relationships, is simply building relationships with people as well. In, you know, in the business, I always make sure intentionally to build a relationship every day from a personal point of view. You know, I don't just, let's say again, when we were applying for the mortgage, you know, I didn't just make an appointment and go in and and just, you know, get through the necessary. I just explained the reason why we want to do what we want to do. And I explained, I asked one question during that conversation. I said, is there anything that could prevent us from making this happen? And that revealed all I needed to know in order to actually really move forward. But, you know, I had built the relationship to, to get to that point. So, so those, those three things. So again, just to, to repeat them. One is, is realizing that an awful lot of financial management has nothing got to do with money. It's to do with being, being organized. And the second thing is act like it's already happened and start making meetings like it's already happened. That can have a powerful effect on your mindset as well as the environment around you. And then, then the third thing is build relationships. In the book, I call them the stakeholders of your finances. That's a fancy dancy term <laughs> for saying the people who matter. Make sure and build relationships with them too. And the people really do matter, those meaningful relationships and expert relationships. And the whole audience that you're talking to, you've really got to be able to correlate and, and align yourself with them and understand the context yeah, and that's, that you're talking in. that's that's the part as well. I mean, Suzanne, I've been on the other side of this where I have trained teams about how to like look at mortgage applications and look at lending. And I have worked with banks and various different financial um, organizations to tell them what it's like to be a founder or to tell them what it's like to be a self-employed person who is applying for a financial product. So I've also really listened to their side of it. And, you know, a range of things can often surprise both parties. One is that the other person doesn't look through their eyes you know, is that they think the other person is trying to catch them out, whether it is the person going in to apply for a loan, let's say, to start something, or whether it is the stockbroker that is trying to, you know, build a relationship with someone who they're selling financial planning to or whatever, is that's the real thing, is looking at the, the transaction, which sounds very cold and objective, but look at how, why the other person is engaging in the transaction, why they might feel apprehensive about it, and how you can solve that problem. 
because if if I was a banker and I was let's say lending lending to you I mean I'm worried that you won't be able to pay it back and if you're not able to pay it back well then not alone does that question my judgment but it also then can put other loans that we have at the bank at risk okay so what I need to know is that you can repay this and kind of that's it really Suzanne you know I'm not trying to know what did your great great grandfather do for money back in you know it's, it's not about getting the most amount of information it's just about figuring out can you allay my concern and then of course in your ha- from your point of view you might want to know okay what's the information I need to give you um what might catch me out what are the things like wh- what questions are, are I'm am I afraid to ask in case I don't understand the answers like they're the genuine concerns on both sides and building relationships can help both yeah, they're not trying to trip, trip you up, are they? No. I guess another question is, what building blocks can we put in place for, for rainy days and then also in terms of our succession plans? Okay, so first of all, the rainy day idea is, um, it's not a very nice one, actually. It's like, oh, to put away fun money so that then just in case it gets sick or just in case I lose my job or just in case, and none of those are nice things either. You know, we don't want to spend time in our minds thinking about getting sick or you know something going wrong and even the term pensions like when I say to somebody about a pension generally they think older age they think immobility they think putting money away now when I could be using it so none of these things are nice so so what I would say first of all is why don't we focus on a sunny day fund and a sunny day fund is imagine Suzanne if I came to you with this fantastic business proposition or imagine if I rang you and I said friend of mine runs a cruise company there's a fantastic special offer going but you have to pay for it in the next three days and be and you can go anytime or that there is something you really want to buy let's say it's a piece of furniture it's a it's a watch it's I don't know whatever it is and it's 50% off now people love the idea of that like actually now that that's 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 a reason to save uh-huh so, so what I would say is, is first of all, if you think about a rainy day fund as actually a sunny day fund, it's there to give you financial opportunity when maybe others haven't put the, the, the building blocks in place. Like, I don't like to use the word pension. I like to, to talk about the fund that facilitates your lifestyle after employment. That's much nicer. That's yeah, that's more positive. <laughs> and that's, and you know, and, and it is more positive because that's what it is. You know, that's, that's what it is. So I think first of all that you need to attribute I'm, it's, I'm kind of giving you the same methodology here as the financial thermostat but attribute reasons why this would be good for you not why you feel you should because that's what people feel about a rainy day fund so why would you want a sunny day fund in the first place and then secondly in terms of the you know the building blocks towards it the hardest thing about having to make a good you know healthy virtuous decision like you know eating healthily or whatever is you have to keep making that decision keep on making it all the time whereas instead if you can put maybe it's a standing order in place so that you never you make the decision once which is maybe two percent of my income five percent of my income whatever it might be that is going to go on a standing order or in a vault let's say in Revolut or whatever it might be into the sunny day fund give it that name and maybe ten percent is going to go into, into the pension and when you make that decision once with a direct debit or a standing order that's it then you don't have to keep making that decision. It's like, I don't have to keep deciding to turn down dessert. It's just put it, put it on autopilot. That, that can often take care of the most of it, really. It takes um, away the pain, doesn't it? Exactly. You don't, you don't necessarily it, see it. Yeah, it takes away the continuous pain. And then, then you're dealing with um, your disposable income then thereafter is your disposable income. Like imagine, Suzanne, if you had to consciously make the decision to pay your mortgage every month. Imagine if you to con- like consciously do this every single time. Or if you think about it, that's what PRSI here is. 
is pay-related social insurance is the contribution that the government takes away our choice, really, to make sure that we're putting money away for our old age pension, the state pension in the future. So, so all of these principles, like they work. And I know there are people out there that says it's all right for her. You know, she's talking about taking away 5% of, of, of her income and putting it into whatever. It's not about the number. It, it's not about the number. And I'm not saying it lightly. What I'm saying is, is removing the conscious decision every single month or every single time. That's what can often have a very, very powerful effect. And you can be surprised at the power of compounding then thereafter. Yeah, and the time that actually frees up in your mind not having to do that sort of thing. Exactly. Even, to, right. even, even down to putting money away for holidays, yep. Christmas, yep. all of it. Yep. And they're all sunny days, you know, yeah. they're, all, they're all good times. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm going to change my reference name and my standing orders. <laughs> um, Susan, accountability and working smarter. How important is it to talk to experts and not go it alone? Well, I have certainly taken that to the nth degree Suzanne I really have I've been remarkably good at levering other people's expertise along the way okay let, let's let's just deal with why people don't maybe if we start there before I start telling you about why it's worthwhile let's let's look at why people don't number one and I cannot stress this often enough is there's a fear out there that you know people don't know what APR is or an ETF is or an E or what ESG stands for there's all these acronyms and jargon and people kind of feel behind the curve and I, again, when I'm talking and training to people in the industry, I point this out and they talk in acronyms because they're used to doing it, not because they're trying to come across as like trying to build up a wall of, of competence around themselves. It's, it's habit. And it's something that I do all the time when I'm interviewing people is that I'll often stop and I'll say, sorry, could you explain what that three letter acronym means or, or whatever? By the way, an acronym is a word that describes when you put three letters, like, let's say like ETF instead of exchange traded fund. So, so first of all, that's what I would say is what can often hold people back from talking to others is, is the jargon. The second thing, right, and this is unfortunately a self-perpetuating cycle is I should have done this before. Like I'm 35. I should have had a pension five years ago. Uh, if I go in, am I going to feel bad about this? Do you know what? I leave it alone for another while and I'm 42 and on and on we go. Like if you think about that logically, the longer it goes on. It's, it's going to prevent you from making the better financial decision, but also that issue, first of all, it's not an issue, right? Starting today is better than any other time in the future. And it's particularly better than any time in the past because it wasn't done before. So take action now, just take, take action now. And then the third thing is this sense of always being afraid someone is trying to sell something to you. And that lack of trust that somewhere in the financial community has, you know, unfortunately it, it has set in. So a couple of things. Number one is we have paid great taxes in this country to facilitate certain organizations to create great resources for us, like the Pensions Authority, state-run, entirely information-focused. They don't have anything to sell you. Some great, easy-to-follow calculators on their site. So start there. Like So rather than going to an insurance broker or company, start with the Pensions Authority. They also have all up-to-date information on around charges. So you can benchmark a conversation that you're having with a financial professional afterwards against that. Second website, consumerhelp.ie. Oh my God, an absolute godsend. So consumerhelp.ie is a website that has all sorts of information like about how to make a complaint, things you need to consider when you're getting married, if you're moving out and you're going to start in college, all these sorts of kind of life changes that bring new financial, financial decisions as well. But the other thing that it has, which is great, and this is updated on a daily basis, is you know that phrase, Suzanne, shop around for a better deal. Now, yeah. some of us are really busy. Now, I'm busy. I'm busy. I, I'm very happy to say I, I run a couple of businesses. Other people are busy with kids. Like, people are busy. And they're thinking, oh, God, that means giving up my 
two hours of my well, you know, treasured time in order to be able to get 50 euros back, right? Actually, um, consumerhelp.ie has done all of that in insurance products, credit cards, loan products, pay, like so many different things. So again, you can, the shopping around can take all of 30 seconds. So that's where I would send people. And then the third resource is citizens information. So maybe you're not claiming all the taxes that you could back, or maybe there are grants available, or maybe there's subsidies available for certain things. A great one, Suzanne, um, a great one that's, that's out there now are the springboard courses, for example. Lots of people, particularly now, um, given the fact that they're, you know, for whatever reason, that they're, they might be working from home for a longer period of time. Maybe they might, for a variety of reasons, people's lives have, have changed culturally, socially, techno technologically, and so on in recent times. And of course, that also can bring career change as well. So um, the springboard courses are up to 90% subsidized from the government if you're in employment and 100% subsidized if you're not in employment. Wow. So there's all of these you know, various different things. So I lecture on one of them. Um, I lecture on the Ulster University one that's run in, in Dublin and it's online. So now it's available to everyone. Uh, on global capital markets where some people have come to be able to move into a career in this area is distinct to just from a personal financial point of view. So those three places, I would say citizens information, I would say consumerhelp.ie and the pensions authority, at least all of those are independent. They're state owned and your taxes are paid for them. So you may as well reap the benefits. And from there, springboard your conversations out then to the financial professionals who may of course want to sell you something but then you can take your decisions with a benchmark fantastic susan you're author of two published books by penguin savvy women's guide to financial freedom and the savvy guide to making more money what was the story behind these books and the um, the accompanying education platform accidents is <laughs> the answer suzanne i i suppose i'm i'm a great believer in saying yes and figuring out what to do then I've certainly learned the difference between your ability zone and your comfort zone. And I spend a lot of time outside of my comfort zone, for sure, uh, but within my ability zone. And they're not always very clear boundaries, but I'm, I'm blessed, really, with, with Ardell. He's always pushed me. He's always pushed me. You know, he'll recognize when my comfort zone is talking and not my, not my ambitious self that wants to reach for the stars. He'll, he'll recognize that and he'll, he'll call it out. And there's accountability, for sure. That, so that's, I suppose, the... The, um, the theory behind the story now, what I'm about to tell you. So one day the news rang me. Now, one day ever, Suzanne, not like, oh, they rang me on this Wednesday and I went over to RT. They rang me and uh, they said, would I basically explain something that ha had happened in the UK to do with the markets? A, simply, B, in 30 seconds, and C, if it would work in Ireland. And I did. So off I went into the news and I was delighted myself and I was on at one o'clock and got the makeup done inside. Did you, did you get a bit, did you get any notice about that call? <laughs> I didn't get much at all not at all, at all. so uh, anyway it was replayed again at six replayed again at nine and that was that you know I kind of looked looked at myself for the telly you know I went and, and that that was that or so I thought but Penguin at the time were looking for an Irish Suze Orman they were looking for a woman who could talk about finance in the same matter-of-fact way that Suze Orman does in the US and at that stage then they sent me an email uh, or so they rang me and they said, would you be interested in coming in to talk to us? So yeah, I did. And of course, I was all excitement going in. Now, I had no idea what was coming. Like they just said, we saw you on the news, like to conversation. We're interested in this area. They kept it quite vague. And off I went in anyway. I met Michael and Patricia. And they said, would you be interested? And I said, of course I would. So my comfort zone was forgotten. My ability zone was saying, hello. The last thing you wrote was an English essay for your leaving cert. And, uh, and then, so yeah, over the next couple of weeks, then we finalized what I would write. And honest to God, Suzanne, the contract was 90,000 words by January. I wrote 120. I loved every moment of writing to Savvy Woman. And I was traveling a lot of the time all over Europe, 
and I was in coffee shops in Paris and I was in coffee shops in Amsterdam not those types of coffee shops now just ones with just coffee <laughs> and and here me and my laptop and I just loved I loved writing it and the tone that I tried to strike in it and you know you're an objective reader so so hopefully you'll recognize this was I wanted this to feel like you were the other side of that coffee shop or the other side of the table where we were having a chat no matter what you told me I was not going to be shocked by it. I was going to be encouraging and I was going to be informative and guiding, but never pressurizing. I wanted the reader to feel like they were there and it was just a conversation between me and them where I was open about mistakes I had made and dreams that I had and things that had worked for me. Um, so I wrote it. I, I, I wrote it the way I would have liked people to read it. So then, uh, so we published The Savvy Women. Like, and it's funny, that was back in January 2013. Like that's a hundred years really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a hundred years ago now in reality. Like, you know, this is before so many things. So, so many things. Ireland was in a very different place at the time. And the book came out the 3rd of January, 2013. And it was very much in that New Year's resolutions type type phase. So at the date of my book launch, um, which was a few weeks later, then they said, do you want to go again? And I said, absolutely. And then I wrote the Savvy Guide to Making More Money. And here's another um, inside story that the few people know is... The original title Penguin proposed to me at the time was The Savvy Guide to Making More Money When Money is Tight. And I felt I was writing the recovery index for the Sunday Independent at the time. And I said, no, I don't think that's the right title. I said it, it niches, it entrenches the feeling of economic constraint that Ireland was was working its way through at the time. And um, and by a year later, that book came out like and in that year. Ireland started to recover. Now it was a jobless recovery and it was an export focused recovery and it was an urban recovery. But the book would have been too old. It would have been too old. It would have been out of date when I, that was never my intention. So I know I, I said, no, no, I really want to keep it the savvy guide to making more money. And now it's my intention for that was to be timeless, which is if you're working a job and you want to make more money, if you want to start a business, or if you're not working in a job or you're not want to start a business and you just want to make more money with the money that you have, that you could read it and find something practical to take it from there. And then I, I wrote that traveling as well and so on from there. And yeah, they've come with me since. Do you know what's funny? You say you write it traveling. It's actually a book that can travel with you. So for instance, I read it in chapters on the school pickup. Oh, brilliant. Super. Yeah. So it, re- it really fits in with a number of different lifestyles. Well, and I love the fact that I was with you at the pickup there every day for a while. There you are. <laughs> yeah. And that's, um, I'm actually, um, uh, I'm ghostwriting a book for a CEO at the moment. And, and it's funny, I'm now we're trying to establish a new rhythm of writing because now I'm writing in a totally different, different, um, different genre now again. And that's, it's a common theme in the way I write is that I, I want to feel I want you to feel like you're you're there beside me and we're just having a chat. So I'm delighted to hear I was on the school pickup. God, the kids are getting big. <laughs> there you are. <laughs> and you do a lot of work with young people as well. So you've co-authored the Positive Economics and founded Savvy Teen Academy. Mm-hmm. Um, which focuses on the careers, communication and confidence of young people. Mm. How can young people or their parents really benefit from them and from this and get them their kids involved? Right. For a start, I would say I have enormous confidence in this generation, enormous confidence. Uh, I've been working um, in Savvy Teens now for six years. We, I co-founded it back in 20, um, back in, well, it, it started in 2015. It was a little bit earlier than that when the idea came came to be so i've i've since worked with thousands of teenagers and at this stage suzanne it's only fair to say with two generations six years is a long time um when it when a teenager will change like you know uh, uh, already i'm starting to see teenagers that i worked with a couple of years ago they're now the guest speakers 
and they're they're in graduate programs and the, the company is now where we work in so i've really worked with two two generations the last of the millennials and the start of gen z i have enormous confidence in this generation and i have enormous faith in their competence as well for a start what i think we should do is recognize that and let your let your teenagers and your young people and um, now my, my niche is 15 to 18 years of years of age but i'm you know i'm, I'm very sure that this could happen a lot earlier is talk to them about things in, in finance. Maybe it is you you are shopping around for house insurance and ask them to sit down with beside you and, and you know and look on consumer help and do it together and ask them to use their filter buttons and stuff like that to get to get what you need. Or together, you know, maybe watch the news um, and just see like maybe if there's a big story that's happening in, in the stock market or for the crack, maybe on have both of you have an app where you would put in a list of stocks doesn't matter whether you really understand the stock market or not, but just to see the stock prices rise and that they fall. So I would just, when it comes to planning out the shopping for the week or maybe taking the shopping is, rather than picking up whatever brand of bread, let's say is your favorite is, is ask them to compare to other ones to see about value for money and point out the fact that it's okay to spend money on things that are valuable to you. So maybe it is that another brand of bread is cheaper, but you like this one because it's crustier or it lasts longer or whatever is that it's worth paying but for what you value so i would just be i would trust in their ability to understand more than than maybe we give them credit for the other thing i want to say is i noticed students coming into me telling me they wanted jobs because they were worried about paying the bills and i will tell you this as well about teenagers is is they they grow up in a cult like we all have cultures in our household suzanne i mean you know you have a culture in your business i have a culture in my business but there's a set of unspoken rules in everyone's households as well so they've watched how you've spent money, spoken about money, worried about money, been excited about money. And, and they think that's status quo. They, they do. So sometimes they come in to me and they tell me they're worried about paying the bills or they want a stable job or they want a pension. And I ask them why. And they don't know. They, they don't know why. That's just what they think everyone else wants or thinks and so on. So what I'm also saying to you is that whatever worries you think you might have or whatever is they probably feel those just they can process them. If you're talking a lot, let's say about paying the bills or whatever, they feel the same, but they don't know what, what the bills are or they don't know if it's, if it's turn of phrase. And, and so ju- just be aware, really, just be aware of, of your financial language, I suppose, without being overly conscious. Now, be aware that they're developing their own personality totally subconsciously around you and have a chat to them about what, they, what their own financial worries and their dreams might be in the future. And you can be very surprised. One other thing that drives me nuts that I, I feel I need to tell you and I feel I need to tell everyone um, listening as well is I often have people telling me and I suppose more so women, not because women are more prone to saying this, but because of the savvy woman, because of that, I, I've interacted with more women directly with their money. And um, I've often heard people say to me, I'm no good with money. Now, they say this as in the same way they might say, I don't like chilies because they're too hot, as in if it's a statement of fact. Now, let me paint this picture to you. I've gathered you're a mother since you're on the school pickup. I'm I not, have, yes. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to paint this picture to you. Imagine that your five-year-old came home from school and said, I'm not good at reading and, and that's, that's just that, ma'am. I'm just not good at reading and that's it now. That's my lot for the rest of my life and that's that. You'd never accept that. You would say it's a skill for life. Oh, managing money is too. You can do something about it. I'll help you. You know, you don't, that's not true. We can change that. And yet an awful lot of adults feel I'm bad at money and therefore, and, and often that can come from a completely unsubstantiated place. But if you hear yourself saying that, 
compare yourself to imagining your child comes home and says, I'm not good at reading and therefore I'm not, I'm not going to be good at it anymore and I'm not going to enjoy it and I'm always going to feel bad about it. You'd never accept that. You can, of course, be good with money. It, of course, can be learned. It's not inherent. And there aren't people blessed by the gods who, like, come out of the womb with a calculator and Excel spreadsheet. You know, you can, of course, um, learn to be better at it. And you can truly enjoy your money. Independent. I've been a business owner for a long time. I know what it feels like the very beginning to have had very little, to have had less than nothing and still make, you know, make the most of it and also enjoy things that have nothing got to do with money that can be influenced by it as well. But it's in your power. It's in your power. So don't accept that from yourself genuinely in the same way you wouldn't accept that from, from a child who would say that to you and instead embrace the opportunity that you have um, in order to make the most of what you've got. It's great. Okay, thank you. Here's a question for you, Susan. Which area of your work excites you the most? And what's your ultimate vision in this area of your business? Okay, what's the area of my business that excites me most? It's the dynamism of it, actually. It's, it's, it's how things, the fact that things change in the way that they do. But I'll tell you what I'm really excited by. And I've only learned this about myself, I suppose, in recent times. The writing has probably been on the wall for a while. But what really excites me, Suzanne, is solving or at least contributing towards a problem that exists in the world. There's three we're currently working on with young people. One is financial literacy in young people. So I have a new book um, coming out soon, which is going to be given to every school in the country for free. It's sponsored by CFA Ireland, and it's going to be given to all of the teachers in all of, all of the schools in the country. It's called Money Matters. It focuses on personal finance, investing and entrepreneurship. And with a view to te teachers being able to roll it out as a textbook then in transition year. Uh, and CFA Ireland is our great credit for going with me and, and making this, this vision happen. So that, that really excites me to be able to make a contribution to like an acknowledged problem in a, such a way that's completely democratized. That really lights my fire. The second issue that we're working with a lot at the moment is the pipeline issue for STEM. Not just women, by the way, not just girls, um, but lads as well. So we're also working with a range of organizations like STEM Southwest and a variety of companies around Ireland to enable an awful lot more awareness and more accurate, relevant, timely awareness around the excitement um, and the exciting careers that STEM can encapsulate. And then the third one is we're now working with um, organizations around uh, DESH schools as well. So schools where they may not have the same opportunities the, as, as other people. And that's what really excites me now about Savvy Teens. You know, like it's, it's, it's just amazing to, to work on, on issues and, and hard ones, like hard ones that lots of people have tried to solve and I'm not saying I have any magic wand, but to get in there and to really look at these issues through the eyes of a young person and, and align, you know, align various different stakeholders to make a difference in a really democratic way that can affect everyone. That's that's what really, yeah, that's what rocks my horse. But you can, you can feel the excitement <laughs> oozing from you. Yeah. <laughs> fantastic. And actually, when I watched the episode there, Fantastic Female Fridays on YouTube, when you were talking from the eyes of parents and how they can help their children. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, parents can do so much. I mean, they're so, so, so influential. And it's, it's generally around this, again, you know, 15 to 18 years old is where I specialize. But what I'm dealing with 17 year and 18 year olds, like around the leaving search, getting ready for college. And I often find that at this age, you know, students are under an awful lot of pressure, not just educational pressure, exams and stuff. There's a lot of social change going on uh, as well, maybe around maybe leaving home or maybe moving into college or, you know, all sorts, all sorts of things. But what I rarely hear a student telling, a, a, and, and they're to me, they're students to the rest of the world, they're, they're, you know, sons and daughters or nieces and nephews. But what I rarely hear, we'll say a teenager saying to their parent is, ma'am, you're doing a superb job of being a mother. 
you're doing a great job look i acknowledge you haven't done this before i know like i know it's probably not easy right now they don't do that no i didn't do that either of course i didn't because i had one mother and i had one father and i wasn't i wasn't comparing them to every other mother and father along the road or whatever and i know it comes across sometimes the kids do that um that's actually quite yeah it's not that they're putting you know analysis they don't have primary research tables going on at home like where they're comparing behavioral patterns you know they might often say that just to get a lollipop a night off go to a disco or whatever and and also what I often don't hear parents saying is you're being a great son, you're being a great daughter or, or think things like that as well, because they have only one or two or three or four. And, and I sometimes say this to, to the teenagers and I'd say, like, why wouldn't you ever tell your mom she's doing a great job as a man? And they said, sure, I'm telling her that I love her. And I said, yeah, but that's not the same thing. That, that's, that's not the same thing. So what I'm trying to say here is, and I know I'm emotionalizing it for, for effect here, is parents and teenagers can often speak a different language sometimes they might think they're saying one thing and they mean another and it's the same with finance we often think oh well you know my teenager isn't interested in the job that I do or my teenager isn't interested in taxes or my teenager may not be interested in like you know they just want money into their bank account not to necessarily care about where it comes from is that really true though because when I meet them there and there are more than well able to take on you know to take on concepts and the other thing is they're they're, they're quite tech you know, the, the, their go-to thing is, is a tech answer. If you want to know a piece of information, they Google it. They don't necessarily ring someone and ask them. So weave that in, you know, and maybe maybe if you're not overly comfortable with using these online calculators or budget calculators or, you know, cost comparison websites, that then is where things can, the two generations can nicely come together. So what I would say is the language of finance um, can be used in different ways between the different generations, but it can be a great way to connect. And believe me, they're picking up an awful lot from you anyway. Maybe it's positive, maybe it's not, but they're picking up an awful lot from you anyway. So you can turn that into your total total advantage and it can be a really good bonding experience. Truly, it can be. Yeah, great summary there. I didn't even know I was summarizing, <laughs> very good. <laughs> so where can people find out more about you, Susan? Well, um, for a start, we have a whole financial literacy literacy module available um, for women arising from Savvy Women on SavvyWomenOnline.com. And there's a series, there's a budget there. There's a series of videos there that I talk to you, like I've talked to you today, Suzanne, where it's, you know, from me to you. We use this case study of a woman called Idel. We chart various different um, things that she wants to have in her life. And we talk about the obstacles that she faces and so on. And they're all in really bite-sized, chunked down videos. Um, so people can certainly go there. It's entirely free. There's no signups or anything else like that. And of course, then you can also sign up on the newsletter to get a, a newsletter every month and where we have articles and events that are coming up and webinars and a variety of other things, as well as, I suppose, a little bit about my own story as well. And maybe something new that I'm working on. I'll be you know, announcing Money Matters more so the, the TY project that's going to schools. You know, when when that book is written that I'm ghostwriting, that will be announced there and so on. So, you know, that's where I would say go to SavvyWomenOnline.com. And um, there's a newsletter button there and um, sign up for that. And, uh, and we'll, we'll catch up then. Thank you very much, Susan. Thank you so much for your time. Um, I think this, the, these areas and the knowledge that you've talked about are so fundamental to men, women, all generations. I just think it's something that you really need to look at. Wish you all the best going forward. And thank you for your time. Thanks a million, Suzanne. And you know, it's, it's, a, it's really wonderful to put this podcast together and I know it takes time and effort on your part. So um, on behalf of your listeners, thank you very, very much indeed for putting the time and effort into making this happen. And I truly appreciate the invite to be part of, of your show today. Thanks, Susan. Thanks so much to Susan Hayes-Cullerton. That was some amount of knowledge around financial independence and education. I loved her analogy around um, changing the term 
saving for a rainy day into a sunny day and looking at the whole mindset around money. Uh, coming up, we have some episodes on recovering your autonomy and discovering a sense of connection. Thanks for listening. You can find more information in the show notes or on our website, thehubnuri.com. While you're there, why not join our mailing list so we can keep you in the know about everything we're up to. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen so you don't miss an episode. Powering Productivity is presented by me, Suzanne Murdoch. It's produced by Emily Crosby Media.